0: You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You have heard that it was said, do not break your oath. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say.
1: It was likely a beautiful day where people would not hesitate to go out into the elements and be a part of something that they think might be a turning of the page in the human history. You see, they've been hearing about a teacher, a healer up in the region of Galilee that was doing amazing things, invoking the name of Yahweh and seeing people be healed, hearing teaching that would confound even the most bright of people. Masses were beginning to follow. They heard he was coming to Jerusalem. So they rushed out of the city because the most recent display of his power was that he had raised a man from the dead. Could this be the Messiah, the one we have long awaited for? Their curiosity was strong. So again, in number, they come out of the city. And as he crested the hill, coming into the city, they gasp because he is riding on a foal, the colt. Zechariah chapter 9 speaks to this moment. They all knew it. And they realized that perhaps this is indeed the fulfillment of what they've been waiting for for centuries. Impromptu, not even asked of them. They began to lay, yes, palm branches down on the road, but more greatly, their outer coats. Laying them on the ground. This was a sign of yielding and submission to the leadership of an entering general or king. They begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save. He's come to save us. But in the minds of all of them there, the thought is not to save us from our own personal sins, it's to save us from the tyranny of Rome. That was what was most on their mind. They've been oppressed, they've been impoverished by the occupying government of Rome. He's coming to be that conquering king we so long for. That's, after all, what they thought the scriptures were telling them. They leaned into the law, the text. They thought they had created the perfect picture of what this Messiah would look like. Oh, that what we know now was so Different from what they expected. And the law is much like that. The letter of the law is often understood, but the spirit of what that law is pointing to is most often misunderstood. That's what brings us to this moment now, where we come into a text where Jesus is preaching a sermon that tells of the law and how this teaching goes beyond. There's the letter but there's the Spirit. So would you turn your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is bringing clarity beyond the letter of the law and speaking to the Spirit of the law. This message was preached at least two years ahead of the time of Jesus' crucifixion. So he did not withhold the newness that he is bringing in understanding the Old Testament and all the prophecies and that have been taught over the years. The law was getting fuller understanding. And in Matthew chapter 5, we began a few weeks ago with the understanding that the law, as what they understood to be the salvific measure of their day, that if you obey the law to its fullest end, then you are right before God. The challenge is, is the greatest at doing that, the Pharisees, who are excellent at living out the law. Jesus says in verse 20 that if your righteousness does not surpass their level of righteousness, then you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That comes after Him having spoken about the Beatitudes in the first 12 verses where Jesus is saying, this is the person whose heart is going to be right before God. The one who I affirm and approve. Hence the word blessed. And he begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In direct contrast to the Pharisee who lived out the law to the fullest end and even added laws to make themselves look even better. And Jesus says, their standards Not enough. So Jesus has already got their attention perked. If their level of achieving the law is not enough, then we have no hope. They've just heard the Beatitudes. Yes, they understand that he's speaking to something progressively, that, that as they come broken before God, he will do a work in them and then bring right relatedness, that righteousness between them and God. And between them and other people. That, yes, will lead to being merciful and being peacemakers, but it also will bring suffering. Because the world doesn't like it when peacemakers show up, because they don't sweep things under the carpet. They take issues head on. This is undoing everything they'd ever been taught. And so it goes into the sermon portions of it that we've dealt with over the last two weeks where he begins with saying, here's a law. This is what you know to be the law. But then he says, but I tell you, I'm going to give you more understanding to that law because there's the letter of the law, but there is the spirit of the law. We heard first, do not murder. Right in the 10 commandments, but he tells you, That which leads to murder, anger, is what God cares about. It's the source behind the outer action. Then he says, you know, to those who commit adultery, that God's offended about lust. Because we tend to, it's like, well, I've not committed adultery. But meanwhile, the inside of us is giving over to lust day in and day out. Then it was about marriage and vows let your yeses be yeses and your noes noes, and there's no greater vow you'll take on this earth than that of between husband and wife, agreeing before God and man that they vow to one another a lifetime of being together. Jesus lists the law, but then he goes to the heart behind the law. He does the same pattern in these verses, and we're going to be reading verses 38-38 to 42 in this moment, and we're going to, quite frankly, have our toes stepped on by Jesus today. So I hope you wore steel-toed shoes. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, and here comes the law, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But then Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Matthew 5, 38 to 42, speaks to this law about tooth for tooth, eye for eye, tit for tat. It's something that's prevailed throughout the human history of mankind. If somebody does something to you, then equal pay is expected in return. But what if I gave you a phrase that would say this, justice prevails over retaliation. Let me say that again. Justice prevails over retaliation. You see, as we learned in the Beatitudes, the term justice coming out of the original language of the Greek also can be interchangeable with the term righteousness, which... When you understand those terms together, it's talking about a right relationship or right relatedness between us and God that also invokes a right relatedness between us and other people. So justice in its fullest form is much greater than that of retaliation. And so in this text, in verses 38 to 42, Jesus is confronting our tendency to leverage the law to feed our vengeful spirit. Do you understand what I mean by that? That Jesus is confronting our tendency that, that says that the law allows me to go this far, so I'm gonna to go to the fullest extent of the law so that I can feed a vengeful spirit. If the law says that somebody harmed my eye and it allows me to take their eye, I will do it. If somebody harms me and causes a tooth to be removed and the law says I can take one of theirs, I'll do it. But the problem is, where is your heart at in that moment? And that's where God looks. He looks upon the heart. He said that about Moses, for God looks upon the heart, whereas man looks upon the outer actions. You see, this law, tooth for tooth, eye for eye, was written to protect two people, both the violator and the victim. Why do I say that? Well, the violator is to be protected that that there is a deterrent set in place that if somebody does harm to you, that they know there's repercussions, and that the law can come in and punish. But it also protects the violator. From disproportionate revenge. Because the tendency of humankind is out of anger to take the violation and go beyond. That's why, very specifically, it says in the law, and they would use it principally through many things, not just about teeth and eyes, but it would be used as a principle. If you lost $100 to this person, $100 they must return. It was protecting both sides. True justice seeks, though, to maintain all things being right, including the relationship. What you're going to see in this text as we begin to parse it and go through it is that what Jesus is saying is that, you know, you got this idea of the law saying you can take for what you've, been, what you've lost, but he's going to go beyond it and say it's not just about, in the end, getting the right payment, In the end, it's about making sure your heart's in a good place and that that, the place of the other person is also at peace. It's about protecting both the violator and the victim, making sure that they become right with God and that the relationship can be such that there's right relatedness between them. It doesn't mean that they become best of friends. It just means that they both can move forward in peace because things have been made right. You see, laws protect us from the extremes of each of us. But they do not solve the problem of the heart. Brokenness remains. Laws don't protect us from the extremes. Because the extremes of man go beyond. And it's in the heart where it falls short. So Jesus wants to make sure that we don't just think because the law is being fulfilled to the fullest extent that everything is okay. Because see, where the law cannot reach is our own personal attitude. How many people I've seen go into sticky situations, into lawsuits, thinking that when justice is received by the law and its court, then I will feel better only to find that when justice is given, they still feel miserable. We've seen that in our lifetime. We see it in our local news when something unjust happens and the courts make their verdict. There's still anger. There's still loss. There's still hurt. There's still blame. Warren Wearsby, a commentarian once said this statement. He says, in light of this text, he says, what Jesus is doing is that he's replacing a law with an attitude, being willing to suffer loss yourself rather than cause another to suffer. It is the strong man who can love and suffer hurt. It is the weak man who thinks only of himself and hurts others to protect himself. Now, he's not saying to get rid of the law. That's not what Jesus was doing. We've already looked at that in the text. But what he's doing is he's causing people that just thinks they're fine and they're right and they're good to go as long as the law is fulfilled to the fullest end of its letter, but stopping short of how the law applies to the heart and the spirit of going forward. Having said that, now let's look at what comes after the conjunction but— But I tell you, if the law says eye for eye, tooth for tooth, tip for tat, what does that mean and how our response should be if it's about the spirit and the heart? So Jesus says in verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. So if you get slapped... Give them the other side. Now, what you need to know about this is this is not talking about abuse. A slap in their day was considered an insult. If you wanted to insult somebody publicly, demean them publicly, you slap them. Jesus then says, all right, if somebody's insulted you, let them insult you again. Why? Why would Jesus tell you to take two slaps? And you're going to hear this phrase several times this morning. The reason why he says this is because your heart and your attitude is at stake beyond the moment of insult. Your heart, your attitude, your spirit is at stake beyond this moment of insult. So by retaliating after being insulted, by retaliating with an insult, where is your heart in that moment? Your attitude has now become vengeful. Full justice is not accomplished by your retaliation. In fact, now the brokenness is official. You have both entrenched yourselves on opposite sides. Now, let me speak to what this is not saying. This is not saying that you should stay there and be victimized and be violated, being harmed and abused over and over and over, as some might teach you to do. That is not what this is talking about. Nor is it speaking to that we are just supposed to get the snot beat out of us anytime somebody is just in fury. It's not saying that either. Nor is it saying what a friend of mine on my college floor once said to me. Now, let me give you context to this friend. My first day meeting him was my first day of college after having my first night of sleep in my dormitory room. His door is open directly across from mine. I walk in, and here he was with a leather strap and a 12-inch knife sharpening it. And might I add, he was a defensive tackle, on the football team. His bench press record was tops all time at my university. Bench pressing 500 pounds. Big man. He's sharpening the blade. I come in. Hi. What's your name? My name's Bart. What's your name? Tony. (laughs) Five foot nothing. Standing in the... In the presence of Goliath. And later in that relationship, as we were getting into the word together, and we read this text, I'll never forget what he said. He said, all right, if this is what God says, and this is what's going to go down. The first slap, I'll take it. Second slap, I'll take it. But after that, it's game on. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I wouldn't even slap the first time. <laughs> I don't know who would be silly enough to do that. So God's not, Jesus isn't talking about that, where somebody is getting harmed to a significant degree. But the reality is, some people have been abused. Emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually even. And how should we respond? What I will say that Jesus is saying the response isn't retaliation. Because what you're going to find is anger only growing, the harm only intensifying. It will not solve anything. Because Jesus is caring more about your heart and your healing. And your spirit than that of getting retribution upon somebody else. Your attitude will only become vengeful if you're trying to find tooth for tooth, eye for eye, insult for insult. Jesus doesn't stop there. Because remember, the law protects both the violated and the violator. And in verse 40, he speaks to one who is the violator. He says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, there needs to be some understanding to this to appreciate what Jesus is saying. The law allowed for if you caused harm to somebody where there was loss involved, they were allowed to sue you by taking your shirt off of you but they were not allowed to take your coat. In Exodus chapter 22 and Deuteronomy chapter 24, both times it speaks to you can sue somebody up till their shirt being taken off their back, but you can't take their coat. Now why? Why is that the case? Why was there protection about the coat? Well, first of all, you need to understand that the coat was often the symbol or the signification as to what tribe you're from, what family lineage you're from. So it was a piece of identity. But it was also essential for survival. Because when you're a sojourner in the Middle Eastern parts of the world, at daytime, super hot. At nighttime, super cold. The coat was your blanket. The coat was your bed. The coat was also what could provide shielding from the sun that is very intense there. So to take the coat was to take somebody's means of survival. That's why the law protects. Both violator and violated are protected. The violator can sue up to the point where the shirt can be taken, but they cannot rob the other person of the ability to survive. So again, why would Jesus say this? If the law says you can take the shirt, why can't Jesus just let it go? Let him take the shirt. Again, the phrase that I've repeated already a couple times because your heart and your spirit are at stake. Your heart and spirit are at stake, and that's what God cares about. So if you are the violated, he's already told you, do not seek revenge. You're only going to find your heart still bleeding out venom. But if you're the violator, you need to go to the fullest end to bring healing to the person you violated. Do you hear this, what Jesus is saying? If you were wrong and the person's asking of you up through your shirt, he's saying give your coat, go beyond so that that person can be made whole. And for you as well. Because what happens to a person when they know that I have have done damage to this amount, and I pay that, and then you go beyond. What does that do not only for the person that's the recipient of your payback, but what does it do for you? It causes your heart, first of all, to not be just so aloof about the fact that you were wrong. And just simply wash your hands. Okay, I paid it off. No, it conveys beyond that. It conveys not only did you think you were wrong, but it also conveys that you are repenting of the wrong. I choose not to do it again. And it builds a bridge. By giving the coat, it communicates to the person that has, is suing you because of something you've done wrong. It communicates that you desire for things to become right between the two of you. May not be the same, may not be close anymore, but at least that they both can go forward in peace. Peace because the person got paid back and then some. And peace for the one who freely gave beyond what they owed can go forward in peace, knowing that they truly repented. I think most of us can sit here and receive this because we're like, Yes, this is what Jesus is teaching, but it's not so easy to practice. When you've been harmed by somebody, to truly go at it in a way that's not vengeful or retaliatory, because it feels good initially to get that revenge, but in the end, you still feel miserable. And to treat with any sort of kindness, or generosity back to somebody that's violated you seems counterintuitive. And if you're the person that has done something wrong, it's hard to come to that place of admitting you were wrong. And then you make it right up to that point, but you stop there, because it doesn't feel good to go and say, you know what, not only was I wrong, but I regret being wrong. So you go the extra advantage of saying, I'm going to go and give more and go beyond. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth is the law. But Jesus is saying it's not just about the law. It's about right relatedness between you and God and between you and others. And if your toes haven't been stepped on yet, the next verse may. Verse 41 If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Now you're thinking, why is that going to step on my toes? Let me explain what this is referring to, because it was not lost upon anybody that heard Jesus say this, what he was asking. You see, under the Roman occupation, they practiced a law that they instituted to benefit their own soldiers that said, if your gear, which weighs nearly 50 pounds, is starting to get heavy for you because you're having a long journey getting to your next post, you have the right to tap any of the passerbys that are Hebrew to have them carry your gear for one mile. And they can do that at any moment they please. So let's say you being the good Americans that we are, are on your way to an important event. Perhaps it's to a family party, a birthday party. And you don't want to be late. A Roman soldier passes by, sees you to have your hands free. They tap you and say, "I need you to carry my gear." One mile, by foot. 50 pounds, you've got to go a mile out of your way and then you have to go the mile back to go the way you might be going. You'll probably be late to the party. Do you think you're going to be happy in that moment? No. This was one of the more oppressive, humiliating rules that the Roman government set up over the Hebrew people. We've already talked about one where they were allowed to... uh, to then cause them to be able to, like, give up their holidays and, and to appeal and worship Caesar. These things were offensive. But this is, and paying that extra tax, we've also talked about the imperial tax that was a tax upon a tax that impoverished the Hebrew people. But this one, this one might have created even more anger. Because people missed weddings. People missed birthday parties. People missed getting to work. People lost income because they were forced and interrupted in their day to go take a Roman soldier's gear a mile. So if your personal liberty is being infringed upon, what do you do? You read in between the lines? Have you not heard the term personal liberty in the last several months? If your personal liberty is being infringed upon, what do you do? This is an infringement upon the personal liberty of every Hebrew person there. And Jesus tells them, if you get forced to carry it a mile, go to. Jesus doubles down on it. Let me come back to what this day was about, Palm Sunday. People were celebrating the fact that they thought they had a conquering king coming into Jerusalem. They thought they had a conquering Messiah, a general that would free them from the occupancy of Rome. Hmm. They wanted to see all these rules go away so they could thrive. During the very week after that great triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus was asked, should we have to pay the imperial tax? This was a test. Are you ready to start the movement of the zealots? It was an unfair, unjust tax that was harming thousands of Hebrews. Here's the test. Jesus, what are you going to do? Toss me a coin. Coins tossed to him. Whose face is on the coin? Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. One commentarian made this comment that this illustration that Jesus puts here in this moment after eye for eye and tooth for tooth, which is a law of retaliation and vengeance, and he says, to the unjust law, where if personal freedoms are being infringed upon, and Jesus says, go two miles. Double it up. Why? As we've been asking after each one, why would Jesus say that? Because your heart and your spirit are at stake. If you let your personal liberties that are being infringed upon consume you, Don't get me wrong. If you're feeling like your your liberties are being infringed upon, of course you're not going to be happy about it. And of course there's opportunities as a citizen to be able to speak out. But it should not become what consumes you. It should not define you. It should not be what's on the first of your lips and the front of your heart. Your attitude is at stake. And by going the second mile, it does something to you. It's a surrender to God and keeping that, which is God's, more important than anything that happens to you here on this earth. Your heart and attitude are at stake. And if you choose to operate by what you do not like here on this earth and you let that be your primary mission, you will become a bitter and angry zealot called Christian. And then that becomes the narrative. By all those who are watching and looking for a place of hope, looking for where hope can be found, and what they find is a bitter and angry people that are more consumed about personal liberties than anything about their personal mission to serve God. Ironically, who was Jesus exchanged for later in that week? Barabbas. Who was Barabbas. A zealot. Jesus exchanged himself for a person who was all about fighting the government. He was a murderer. He was a rebel rouser. And Jesus chose to stay on mission and be about redeeming people, not redeeming a government. Why? Because it's about the heart. It's about the attitude. And it's about the purpose of what God wants to accomplish in my life and in your life. And that is to redeem a people that he'll call his own and invite them into the family. And then Jesus ends with this final statement in verse 42. It's another stepping on the toe, especially on mine, where it says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, why do you say does that step on your toes, Tony? It's because it's very natural. If somebody is gutsy enough to ask me for money, and I have relationship with them, it is natural to my mind not to think in terms of generosity, but to think in terms of worthiness. Do you feel me? Is this person worthy of me giving up my resources so that they can... Survive a better day. Again, why would Jesus say this? Because he cares about your heart and your spirit. And generosity is something that doesn't come easy to a person that's all about their own rights, their own cares. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, insult for insult. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Don't let vengeance play the song of your heart. Make it right if you've wronged somebody and give more than they even asked for. Go the second mile so that your heart doesn't become bitter and angry about the injustices of a government. And let your heart overflow with generosity. And not be about worthiness when it comes to helping another person. Because at the end of the day, are any of us worthy of the gift we receive from Jesus? So I conclude with this. As one being on mission with Christ. When we have been wronged, it is not about justice for ourselves. It is about leading the relationship towards forgiveness. Matthew Henry said 300 years ago, we may avoid evil and even resist it so as far as necessary for our own security, but we must not render evil for evil, must not bear a grudge nor avenge ourselves, nor seek to get even with those who have have treated us unkindly, but we must go beyond, go beyond them by forgiving them. You see it's about leading, not being led in these broken relationships. We get led by Christ and then causes us to lead into reconciliation between all the broken relationships we might have as either being the violator or the violated, or as being the one who's had their freedoms infringed upon, or as one who holds on to what they have, not being generous in heart. God wants to see justice come to you by right relatedness between you and him and between you and other people. And when we have wronged someone, it is not about paying up. It's about restoring peace to the soul of them and to you. And when your liberties are threatened, protect your heart by going the extra mile of grace. Lest you become incapable to serve God's mission here on this earth because bitterness has overcome you. And then welcome the opportunity that God would give you the privilege that you could benefit somebody else by giving to them directly. Let's pray. God, I stand convicted. of withholding from those who have harmed me, hurt me, or being jaded enough that when I have harmed somebody, I just simply keep it minimal and not go the extra mile to reconcile. It's also easy, Lord, to get caught up with the injustices of a government and miss out on having opportunities around me with people that are also feeling harm, but they're looking for where there can be hope and firmly planted feet. God, may they see a winsome spirit in us. And maybe that's why they would come to ask of us. It's because they actually see that there's hope found in us. May we overflow, not withhold. Speak to our hearts now as we conclude this service, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand, please?
2: Well, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a Jewish citizen on Palm Sunday shouting, Hosanna, come save us, and days later seeing Jesus hanging on the cross heard this morning is that Jesus' message of justice and salvation is not always going to look the way we think. But his promise, his victory, his word is in his hands. So church, let's put our trust in his will and his ways as we turn our eyes towards him this morning.
1: zealots of Jesus's day many of them died by the sword in fact some just before Jesus came to Jerusalem had died by the sword making their life's mission about fighting the government over time the zealous movement was crushed in AD 70 Jerusalem was completely destroyed because of the zealots Misaimed, directed. Rome stood stronger than ever. Now a new threat came to Rome. It was the movement of the Way, as it was called. The Way, meaning that Jesus was the one who came, said, "I am the Way, the Truth, and the Life. No one can have a relationship or come to the Father except through Him." This exclusivity of Jesus' statement was a threat to Caesar who saw himself as god. And for decades they tried to eradicate this movement. But the movement did not let the tyranny of that government co-opt their message. They stayed on point being about right relationship between them and god and between their fellow man. Guess who won? Rome fell. And it didn't fall by the sword. It fell by the movement of God, where it ended up penetrating the very heart of Caesar. And the church began to thrive. Oh, it had its warts, don't get me wrong, Rome's not all clean in this. But the point should be learned. If we trust that God's way is better, we'll see mountains move that we never thought could be broken. If you have broken relationships with other people that you think are irreconcilable, trust what God could do. Make your actions aligned with his. Retaliation and revenge, I confident, will not solve the problem between you and a violator. Or heal that which is just by the letter of the law when you've wronged someone. No, it's going beyond. Letting, trusting that God's standard and his principles he gave today will change lives. If you came into this room today without a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are talking about something that could totally transform your life. Where bitterness and anger dissipate, not increase. Peace, hope, and joy for living increases because we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We invite you into such a relationship. You can reach out to us here at LAC. I'll be up front here. You could talk to us by email, phone, office at lefc.net, 717-626-5332. We'd be glad to talk with you. You could also pray with someone now. If there's just something on your heart from today's message, we have people in the encounter room that'd be glad to hear from you, pray with you. It's to my left, your right. In the end of the day, God's way is better. Your own rights, you're only gonna find yourself, if you're defending them, always, you're gonna find yourself always lacking. Let God take care of that and you stay on mission with him. In the name of Jesus, I pray this over you all. Amen. You are dismissed. I hope I'll see many of you on Monday, Thursday night.